I'm Audrey Cooper, and today on Fifth Admission, I'm talking to two of my colleagues. First up is Jill Tucker. Jill has covered education in the Bay Area for nearly two decades, but most recently, she's been covering the issue of a large fresco painted at George Washington High School in San Francisco. This fresco has been there as long as the school, which has been more than 80 years. We'll talk to her, and then I'm going to sit down with art critic Charles Desmarais to get his view on what should happen with this fresco. That's all today on Fifth Emission. Jill, welcome back to Fifth Emission. You're our first second timer in the newsroom. Isn't that great? I'm super excited. Yeah. That's awesome. So we're going to talk about a piece of art that is at George Washington High School. What is this piece of art that has everybody so riled up? So this is a very large mural that was painted during the Depression at George Washington High School in San Francisco's Richmond District, and it's called The Life of Washington. And basically it features several panels depicting parts of George Washington's life. Um, And there are a couple of images in these panels that have stirred up controversy over the generations, and that controversy has uh, come to life again, and uh, people are questioning whether this mural should uh, not only be in that high school, but whether it should be existing at all. I mean, they're talking about painting over a, uh, a, a piece of art uh, that is in a San Francisco high school. And it's, it's not a new piece of art either. It's, it's very old. Yes, this piece of art was painted in 1936 when the school was brand new. And it was part of the, um, the public works uh, under the New Deal that uh, President Roosevelt um, had the Works Progress Administration. Um, so a WPA art, which we have them all over the city in Coit Tower and in in many other places. Um, this one was painted by, by Russian artist Viktor Arnatov. And if I'm not pronouncing that, he's been gone a long time. So <laughs> I'm hoping that's accurate. He is uh, a Russian artist. Uh, he's painted some of the murals in Coit Tower. Uh, he painted this mural of the life of Washington. So it, it's been there for 84 years. And presumably a, a lefty artist, too, because he was coming out of communist Russia. He went back there after he died. Yeah. And um, so maybe you should tell us what is actually on these panels. Right. So um, two two of the images or a few of the images on these panels um, are one is depicting um, Washington with um, African-American slaves and um, and also Native American slaves uh, loading a ship. They're picking cotton, shucking corn. So these are, are very much slavery uh, images of slavery um, there. There's also an image of Washington pointing west, sort of for the westward movement. And there is a dead Native American lying on the ground with um, uh, white settlers basically stepping over him and heading west. And so these are these are disturbing images. You know, they're depicting slavery. They're depicting the slaughter of Native Americans. Um, and, and so many people, students, uh, teachers, others, um, have complained about them, saying that they just they don't want to walk by them every day. So why is this resurfacing now as a controversy? Because as you said, it's come up before. Uh, what what has brought it back up? 
Yeah, so it, it, it popped up in the civil rights movement um, in the 1960s, but really I think it's coming back now um, because we have a lot of, we're having a lot of conversations in the country right now about racist images, about monuments to Confederate figures and um, and issues related to sort of the racial injustice of our of our past. You're seeing it in Marin County where they're talking about renaming uh, the Dixie School District. So there are many of these conversations happening where where monuments to Robert E. Lee are getting taken down. In San Francisco, there was a, a statue um, of Native Americans that was removed. I think that it really fits in with a broader national conversation about addressing these images with racist connotations or racist uh, implications uh, and, and, and sad parts of our history. Or that people believe could be construed as racist because that's really part of this controversy is when is something implicitly racist and when is it depicting an act of racism, which is why I mentioned at the beginning that this artist was actually kind of lefty because defenders of this mural will tell you he was doing a mural for George Washington High School and purposefully putting in some real talk about what George Washington's life is. And if you look at it through that narrative, uh, you know, you could see it as something that's sort of speaking truth to power in a school that is glorifying somebody who uh, enslaved people and did some atrocious things and yet is held up as a national figure too. On the other side of it, you have children really walking by it every day and they say it's disturbing. What has this been discussed as a teaching moment in the school or how is this coming to fruit within the classrooms itself at George Washington High School? Yeah, well, let me start by saying that that this is um what I call a holy cow story because what it means is it's people read it and they have this holy cow, oh my gosh, and they have a very strong opinion one way or another. And I can promise you my inbox is full of these opinions. Same. Mine too. Yeah. yeah. So um, <laughs> they copy me when they email you. <laughs> yes. So they so and and they're they're basically um speaking exactly what you just said, that the people who want to save the mural say, look, this is art. And, you know, everybody sort of has their own visceral reaction to art. But the reality is you should also be able to study and learn you know, who the artist was, what his intention was, be able to interpret the the art through the artist's eyes. And in fact, Arnatov was um, a communist. He was part of the Communist Party and uh, was almost fired from Stanford where he was teaching art because of his, you know, communist affiliation. So, um, you know, he really was, pe- people, you know, consider this something of a, of a subversive piece of art because he really was linking Washington to slavery and to the slaughter of Native Americans, which at the time, you know, that that wasn't glorifying Washington. People in the 30s knew that slavery was bad and that the, you know, murder of Native Americans was bad. So the people that are that want to keep this mural are very much focused on the fact that this is a a piece of art. Um, They want it to be a learning moment for the kids, a teachable moment for the kids. They want them to understand why he painted these images and what they mean. Um, On the other hand, uh, the people who are against the mural are basically saying, look, we get that, but this is offensive to these students. It's disturbing to these students. And unlike a museum or another public place, um, they have to walk by this every day. They have to be in school, right? And, And so should they have to walk by something 
that is offensive and disturbing. And, you know, in the past, it, it has come up um, that uh, students, you know, at the school in, in decades past would say, hey, you know, meet me by the dead Indian. And so there there's that this image is, is they, they know it's there. And um, for many of the students, they, they just say, I don't, it pains me and I don't want to have to see that every day. Are there any other solutions being considered for this? Is it is it keep it or tear it down, or is there some middle ground that might actually be considered? No, there's definitely middle ground. Um, the school district, though, had um, appointed a, a community panel to take a look at this, and that panel has recommended by a majority vote to paint it over, to, to digitally archive it and paint it over with white paint. But there are other... Um, ideas. So perhaps covering it with a curtain or, you know, some type of, of tarp or something so that students don't have to see it every day. Um, you know, some people have said, well, why are you tearing down the entire mural? You know, why wouldn't you just cover up these parts of it, perhaps? And of course, there is the idea that perhaps they can um, take it uh, down and move it. Uh, but this is a fresco, which means it was painted on wet plaster, Taking down a fresco is very difficult. You, you typically have to remove the whole wall because it's, it's part of the wall. And so it would be very expensive and very difficult to do that. Well, and after you, I'm speaking to Charles Desmarais, who's our art critic, who, who fulfills a different role than you in the newsroom. You're trying to explain both sides of the story and the policy implications of it. Charles, we pay to make decisions about what he thinks is good art, what's bad art, and weigh in on these issues of the day. So it's, it, we'll hear from him in, in just a second because he has very strong opinions about that. But, you know, what I want to know from you is, would this be, in your opinion, as big of an issue in San Francisco if it were not in a high school? I don't think so because we have similar murals in Coit Tower and in other public places that were part of this WPA art that even at the time that they were painted caused a huge stir. There's there's um, many communist images in the in, in the murals at Coit Tower and at the time caused a huge stir whether they should be destroyed, whether they should be painted over. And so I think in general there's a difference when when art is in a school and when children are involved than if you're just talking about a mural that's in a museum or in another public place or the post office or or something like that. Um, I think when we when we talk about kids, when we talk about kids being um, offended or disturbed, it, it brings it to a very different conversation. Who's behind this push to get rid of this right now? So there are... Um, Several folks in the community, um, students as well. There's a teacher um, that has been at the forefront, a Native American teacher. But we also have uh, several school board members who are, you know, considering this. And in fact, the president of the school board is in support of uh, removing or destroying the mural. You were mentioning before that some of them say. You know, I may not personally find this offensive, but I'm also not a person of color, so I don't feel like I can make that decision. Is that Does that sum up some of the opinions on the school board? Well, I think the school board members have, have said that this is a difficult issue, including the school board president, Stephon Cook. Um, he said balancing the fact that this is a piece of art with the fact that it is offensive and, and, and difficult images for people to, to see – um, he, he understands that that's a difficult issue. I do think board members have to grapple, just as the rest of us in society are, 
with, um, you know, the debates that are happening, this this may not apply to you if you are white or, you know, a, an, another race as opposed to a person of color. And how do you address the feelings of a person of color, you know, if if you are not part of that group, if this is not part of your personal history? The last question I have for you is, Whose decision is this ultimately to make? Who's going to decide, leave it up, cover it up, take it down? So the um, the panel has made their recommendation. The superintendent is expected to look at all the options and present them with a recommendation to the school board in the coming weeks or months, um, perhaps by the end of the school year. Um, and then it'll be up to the board to decide what action they want to take. Now, I will say in talking to a lot of the people, if they vote to destroy it, as is the panel's recommendation, they will uh, very likely face lawsuits. The art community, people that want to preserve these murals have already vowed, including the uh, George Washington Alumni Association, which wants to save the mural. Um, they, they have already said that we will use every legal means that we can uh, to save this mural. And there there's some arguments to be made, legal arguments that they can make in terms of this was paid for by public funds, so it would be a waste of public funds to destroy it. And there are also some laws about preserving art um, so, uh, so definitely I would venture to guess that even if the school board decides to destroy it, that it's not over yet. Thank you so much for coming on to talk about this today. Next, we're going to speak to our art critic, Charles Desmarais, about what he thinks, but we really appreciate you setting the stage for what's at stake here. My pleasure. We'll be right back. Charles, welcome to Fifth Emission, your first time on the podcast. It is my first time on the podcast. So one of the things that we're trying to do here is explain a little bit more about how we find the stories that we write about and then how we go about reporting them. And you have a very unique job in the newsroom in that you are an art critic. So we pay you for your opinions <laughs> on things. And you are quite, um, if I do say so myself, quite a get for us because so you have taught literally students in a building about art. Um, and before that, you were deputy director of art for the Brooklyn Museum. And you've been the director of a number of museums, including the Contemporary Arts Center in Cincinnati and the Laguna Art Museum and the Museum of Photography at the University of California, Riverside. Did I get all of that right? You did, indeed. And okay. Okay. I'm proud of that history, but I'm most proud of my job at the San Francisco Chronicle. So what? What is <laughs> good? <laughs> so what is your job here? What What do you do? Well, as you said, it's it's about opinion, but it's it's meant to be opinion that's based on knowledge that I might bring to the job, and also um, what I learn in, in in viewing exhibitions and in traveling around the city and such. In fact. When I first got the job, I, I called it learning in public, and I feel that that's very much what I do. I oftentimes, I'll approach a subject that I might have some background for, but like most people, I don't like like anybody. I don't know everything, and we look we cover an awful lot of art. I thought when we hired you, you did know everything. <laughs> that's what we were told. I might act that way, but <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Well, I, it's really important that we distinguish between your job here and Jill's job here, because one of the things that when I go out and I tell people is our job is to provoke, incite, and inspire 
civic discourse. Mm -hmm. So we've gotten some emails of a lot of people who agreed with your piece and some who didn't. And I really think that's awesome because that's what our job is. And I know you hear from readers a lot um, about things they agree with and don't agree with as well. I do. And this this particular piece that we're talking about um, did generate more than the usual amount of response. Um, It's clear that readers are interested in this topic and, and our citizens of San Francisco are interested in this topic. Well, and it's a really difficult topic to handle, too, in a lot of ways, because you're talking about whether art in a certain place should offend or does offend and what we should do about that, too. So you're familiar with this artist and um, the type of work that was done here. Can you explain a little bit about the man and the work itself? Mm-hmm. You mentioned that um, that I was the president of San Francisco Art Institute, and in fact, it turns out that Arnatov had his name is Victor Arnatov, had a very important connection to the San Francisco Art Institute. He was born in Russia in the late 19th century, and first served in the First World War, and and didn't come until he was in his late 20s to the United States, and he came to San Francisco to study art, and he went to what was then called the California. School of Fine Arts, now called the San Francisco Art Institute, to study. In 1925, he came. Then he went to um, Mexico and because he was very interested in Diego Rivera and studied with Rivera there in, San Fr- there in Mexico. And when Rivera came here in 1931 to paint murals at both at the San Francisco Art Institute and elsewhere in the, in the city, Arnatov came with and was part of that whole history, a very important part of, of San Francisco art history, which is the whole mural movement. Arnatov led the, the workers who did the paintings at Coit Tower, the very famous paintings there. And Arnatov continued to do murals around the city and the, and the region, the Bay Area. He eventually taught at Stanford. Stephen Korn was one of his students, as well as many others. Got himself in a little trouble in 1955 because he did a, a poster about Richard Nixon. This is, of course, before Nixon was president, but an anti-Nixon poster and got himself called, hauled up in front of the um, House Un-American Act- Activities Committee because of his communist leanings or his, his leftist leanings. Turns out he, he was very much a leftist and, and returned at the end of his career, uh, left Stanford, I think, in 1963, went back to Russia and lived out his life in, in um, actually in the, U- the Ukraine, but USSR. And the mural itself, you were saying, is a, a somewhat rare form of art to see nowadays. Yes. Um, when we talk about murals, of course, we're talking about paintings on, on walls. But fresco was a – well, in fact, fresco was even used by the Egyptians and the Romans, but we, we think of it particularly as a Renaissance um, method of painting on walls. They would put the wall up with wet plaster and then put pigment into the plaster while it was still wet so that the paint, the color, becomes integral to the wall, which is very beautiful, long-lasting, holds up really, really well, um, but makes Really it in- expensive to move. Exactly, because this is a, the, the mural that's at George Washington High School is all over several walls. It's a really gigantic um, complex of various paintings and you'd have to actually remove the plaster and and hold it keep it from falling apart if you were going to move it to someplace else so it it's, it would not be a simple process it's been done but not cheap 
You started this piece that you wrote discussing defaced Egyptian art, which I, for me, was a little bit of a eureka moment because we all are familiar with the images of um, pharaohs or the sphinx, and they're all missing a nose. So right. explain what that has to do with a mural in George Washington High School. Well, it turns out, and this is recent research by um, Ed Bleiberg at the Brooklyn Museum, that those missing noses were not all damaged because somebody dropped a st- sculpture somewhere along the way. In fact, they were purposely defaced as a way to um, to take away the power of these these sculptures. And in fact, in ancient Egypt, these sculptures were often believed to be to actually embody the spirit of the actual person who's depicted. So by breaking off their nose, you could stop them from breathing and you could stop them from threatening you in some way. So if you wanted to get rid of an enemy, you needed to get rid of their capacity to to continue to harm you. So what does that have to do with the mural now, though? Well, I think that we treat works of art oftentimes as if they're magical objects, as if they're magical. And the, um, the, this painting tells a story that is likely true about racism that, that existed in, um, in America in, at the birth of our country. And some people, I think, fear the power of the, even the depiction of that racism, even though, of course, the image itself is not racist. The image describes racist acts or racist situations like slavery. One of the first wars that Washington fought in, well, I think the first, was the French and Indian War, in fact. So it's it's a factual part that George Washington enslaved people that he did almost certainly kill Native Americans in this progression towards becoming the first president of the mm-hmm. United States. W- where is the line for you between the Confederate monuments that people want to be taken down and this mural? Are they the same thing or are they very different? I think there's there are different situations. Um, there are sculptures. We know that there are Confederate sculptures that were and, and monuments and such that were created during the Civil Rights Movement that were clearly, to me, meant to um, undercut the Civil Rights Movement. That strikes me as something different from depicting a historical fact. And so when we're talking about the, the Civil Rights... I'm sorry, the Confederate monuments, it's a little difficult because there are monuments that were created shortly after the Civil War that you might think of as maybe being a little more um, about history. But there are, but the vast majority of them were created as political statements meant to hold on to a racist, rebellious um, attitude toward the U.S. So in other words, you're saying the, a, a erection during the civil rights movement when when African-American people are are arguing for their rights and women are arguing for their rights and, and the whole country is swept up in the free speech movement, the erection of some of these Confederate monuments was in and of itself a racist act. Even if the person is white, the fact that it was put up in the first place is racist, whereas this mural is kind of like 
you know, maybe a little bit of journalism. Exactly. Uh, like, tell, something. Like, like writing a history book or something. And, if, and, you know, you asked me the other day what I thought about whether it should be in a school. And I've thought about that question. And it seems to me what better place should such, such a, a, um, a discussion take place but in a school? But you also just said we we attribute a power to art like it's magic, but but isn't that the point of art too? In a way, is that it should strike us in a visceral and emotional way. Certainly, good art does, and isn't that kind of endemic in the definition of creating it in the first place? Well, yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> I got too deep on you for a second there. Well, no, I mean, of course, um, of course, that's something that we are fascinated by, but I think that at least my job as a critic is to examine that response and to try to understand that response um, because we know it's not magic. I mean, we know intellectually that those um, spirits of those ancient Egyptians are not within those sculptures. And so it's, you know, I think, I think it's important for us to understand metaphor and irony and th- th- things that don't seem to have a lot of value for a lot of people these days. But probably a 14-year-old doesn't know that. But and, teaching and, a 14-year-old is exactly the point of high school, isn't it? I, well, presumably, <laughs> yes. I, I, there were some other points of high school, if I remember, but that would seem to be the main one. So you, when we were talking about this earlier, you had an example of something that was done at the Natural History Museum in New York to deal with some of their offensive imagery. Do you want to talk about that? No, this is really yeah, really a very important and timely thing. There, there was, um, of course, like many museums, they have these dioramas, and they had a diorama that showed um, Peter Stuyvesant meeting with Native Americans, presumably creating some treaty or something like that. I don't remember all the details. Um, But the depictions of the Native Americans were completely false, historically wrong, and for that reason offended a lot of people. And, and what was historically wrong about the images? Well, for one thing, the women who in the, in the diorama are depicted in the background um, bare-breasted servants to the men, when in fact women during that era in the Native American tribes were in fact powerful characters who in fact were part of the, negotia- the teams negotiating the, the treaty. So that was important to change. Um, and the Native Americans are depicted in um, inappropriate costume, in costume that they wouldn't have worn. They would have worn far more elaborate costumes because they were there for a very important ceremonial reason. And they wouldn't have been, they wouldn't have looked quite so savage in savage, the sense of, right. of being half naked, you know? Mm-hmm. What, um, what the American Museum of Natural History did, you know, there's a glass front on this diorama, as there often are, and what they did was to put actual texts on the glass describing the errors in their, in their original um, diorama. So what you have then is that they're looking at their own history in, and, and calling themselves out and by, by that teaching us all something. So why not just fix it? They could have, but I think, I think knowing the errors that we have made is an extremely important part of of um, growing. I mean, that's what history is about, is, is not only looking at our victories, but also our flaws and, our, and, and the mistakes that we've made and understanding those. 
That's why, for example, every time we make a mistake, we explain what it is and what the right and we put the right information out there, too, for (laughs) example. I mean, I do think it's an interesting point because um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but basically what it seems like you would argue is it's not a suitable solution to just uh, paint over the the quote unquote dead Indian or the the enslaved people in this mural. That would be. Um, an inappropriate reaction. What might be a more appropriate reaction is leave it there and explain Audrey, something about this. Audrey, I would be this. all for painting it out if by painting it out we could eliminate the racism. If we could change the history by painting that, by repainting that painting, then I'd be all for it. But the history is there. The racism still exists in our, in our, in our own selves and in our country and in our society. And to ignore that, to try to erase it by erasing a picture doesn't doesn't solve the problem. I think that's a great point on which to end this. Thank you very much for coming today. Thank you, Andre. My thanks to Jill Tucker and Charles Desmarais for being with us today to discuss this issue. And if you want to read both of their pieces, they're all on sfchronicle.com. Fifth and Mission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.